Welcome to My Journey, the podcast for individuals who are seeking to write their own stories while creating more healthy life along the way. My name is Brian Pickowitz. This is My Journey. And now it's time to start yours. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to My Journey. I am your host, Brian Pickowitz, and I want to welcome you all to episode number 41 of our podcast. So in today's episode, we have the physical therapist, inventor, and serial entrepreneur, Steve Sedell of Prehab to Perform. And Steve's accomplishments are wide-ranging, but more than anything, I think that the, the knowledge that Steve has is so valuable for anyone who's looking to improve the quality of their body. And one of the things that I really love about today's podcast is we dive into specifics on how to improve your mobility, your pliability, and also improve your body before it's hurt. And that was one of the things that I really learned from Steve. So when Lindsay and I lived in Los Angeles, uh, we went and worked with Steve for probably a, a about a year, you know, off and on between different injuries or, or different air areas where we could feel tightness and so on. And I actually started working with Steve after a chest injury and through working with him, I got such an incredible understanding of what the body really does and how to improve it because what was a chest tightness really was what it was, was really caused by a tight lat and an impinged scapula from my back. And so the thing that I think that I gained from working with Steve was just this immense amount of understanding of what the body actually needs in order to be at its optimal self. And that's what we really dive into here. So I was really grateful to have Steve come on and talk about the value of prehab, talk about the reason why so many people neglect these standard practices when it comes to improving mobility. I know for me as a coach, um, now when I give people mobility work, they're like, oh, I just want to get into the workout. I just want to go work out. I just want to go lift. My time's limited. And <clears throat> what I think the shift is, is seeing that doing like banded work for your glutes, doing banded work for your shoulders, even though and I'm saying this more to men, I, I truly believe, because most of the female clients that I work with have no problem with it, but the man, male clients are like, that's oh, so awkward. Like, I, I want to go lift weights. But seeing these movements as part of the process of feeling better, it, it shifts your ability to train harder, for one, but it also makes you shift your ability to actually improve right? Because if you are squatting and squatting and squatting, for instance, but you have a hip impingement and, and your glutes aren't firing and, and you're really in actually a lot of pain, it's not going to get any better. It doesn't get any better by doing it, doing it, and doing it. It gets better by actually looking at the root cause of what's causing the pain. And so that's really what we dove into, like where you can address different areas, especially for like back pain, especially for knee pain, any of those different things that come up. But we also dive into some of the practices for people who are busy business leaders and people who are in that zone of not having a lot of time, what they can do. We talk about what Steve's opinion and, and feedback is on the physical therapy arena because for so many people they don't want to go see a physical therapist because they believe that they have to be broken or their experience with a physical therapist is that there's not a lot of empathy or in-depth understanding attached to it right like you're just going to go you're going to get banded work you're going to get some ice you're going to get some stim that's about it and you're going to go on your way and that's really not enough and so steve's practice really focuses on giving people exactly what they need and and treating the root cause and that was one of the things that we dive into how to make that more of a focal point of physical therapy in itself but steve also is a serial entrepreneur and inventor and steve created the neck hammock so if you've ever seen the neck hammock it essentially is a hammock or a stretching mechanism for you to stretch your neck out and is it really revolutionized how people go about looking at stretching the top part of our body because most of the time our tension is all held in our neck 
think about corporate people, you think about driving, you think about working, you think about just being in a stressful situation, you are constantly tense in your neck. The Neck Hammock is a massive success and it's been featured on Mashable, Dr. Oz, and The Chive. The thing I really love about it though is it's very simple, something that everyone can use at their house, and it is a great tool for anyone who's looking to improve their neck mobility, but also de-stress and really have that stretch in an area that most of us really are longing to stretch, but neglect so often and, and really can't get the, the focus on it that we need. And so Steve was actually amazing and offered us a discount code for the podcast. So relax 10 will get you 10% off of the neck hammock and it will make it so that it's really simple, really easy and something that you can enjoy. So check it out at relief.neckhammock.com and you guys can follow Steve at Steve Sedell on his Instagram, but you can also find him at prehab to perform. That is where he does all his physical therapy work. And if you are in the Los Angeles area, you will want to go see him. I've sent several people there, um, not as like a over the top, um, I don't wanna say recommendation, but just in general, I think Steve was one of the first people that really invested in when it came to self care and taking care of my body. And I think it was the best investment I ever made because I learned so much about my body. I was able to improve my body. Like I was in a position where I couldn't even do a hardly like a barbell press because my shoulders were so tight and it hurt so much. And now I can do a behind the neck press. I can do an overhead squat. I can do just amazing things with my shoulders that I never would have been able to do. And the cool thing is that even though I live in Dallas now and I don't have the opportunity to go work with him, uh, I do a lot of the, the techniques that he showed me and my mobility has only continued to improve. So if you can't see Steve, then I think that it's more of a value add to look at where you can improve your mobility can you go see a physical therapist? Can you just lean into learning more about mobility through the content I post or the content other people post? Putting your mobility as a chief focus in your training will only improve the quality of your body. And when you have a better quality body, you tend to have a better quality life. So thank you so much. Check out Steve. And without further ado, here's Steve Snell. Dr. Steve Sedell, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we could finally make this happen. Um, I know we've been kind of like trying to pull it together, so really grateful to have you here. And I, I know we were going to talk about a lot of different aspects of fitness, health, and just overall lifestyle hacks and habits that you've been able to integrate into your just daily momentum and, and routines. But I wanted to start off by addressing just one of the questions I think that some people are going to have when they're coming into this. And that is, what would you define prehab as? You know, prehab can be looked at as a few different ways. Um, but, you know, the actual name of the company is Prehab to Perform. And, and really, it's, it's like that because... Um, you can look at it as injury prevention, but you can also look at it as a way to uh, improve your athletic performance. Because mm -hmm. really the two go hand in hand. They're just on different ends of the spectrum. Uh, you know, so prehab will keep you healthy and strong. And if you're healthy and strong, uh, and, you know, and mobile and moving well, then naturally your athletic performance is going to improve and you're gonna constantly get better. Uh, so prehab is kind of like the things in exercises or soft tissue techniques that you'll do, uh, you know, before you work out to optimize your performance, but also prevent injury. Mm, I love that. And, and I know that from a standpoint of like as someone who has been through your system, worked with you and so on, that, that a lot of it was also figuring out where it fits into the mix. I think that as a coach myself, I see that as a challenge for so many people, even if they're just trying to get healthy, they're like, what? what is the value of doing these different exercises? I just want to build muscle or I just want to get stronger. So um, I'm curious to hear your, your feedback on where you think prehab, soft tissue, mobility work fits into the mix when it comes to fitness and health and, and how to kind of put that as a, as a forefront of people's mind when they're going through their journey. 
Yeah, it, you know, it's super easy to just want to focus on like the really glamorous movements. Like, you know, you want to put on a lot of muscle, you want to get really strong, you want to look good. Um, but the problem is that if you're only focusing on the big movements, uh, you know, like bench press, for example, then you can develop, you know, a lot of tightness in your pecs and, and therefore uh, you can then develop a lot of weakness in your mid-back, tightness through your thoracic spine so that eventually you're kind of like creating like a ticking time bomb to where, you know, you're going to start to develop like uh, tendonitis in the interior aspect of your shoulder because you're just overworking that area too much. So prehab, basically, I give it to people as like a really good warm-up to do before they work out. So it's one of those things that is going to prime their bodies uh, to get them, you know, ready for athletic competition, whether it's in the gym or whether it's before a sport. And uh, so I see it as a great opportunity to do before you work out um, to get your, your tissues and essentially your machine ready to go uh, to get the most out of your workouts. Mm, I love that. Would you say that, so what would you say the resistance is then in some of those different fields? Is it ego? It, what, what, what do you feel like um, is maybe like some of the objections that people have to really implementing that into more of a focal point of their training? I think we're such a reactive society that we only like to uh, address injury like when it happens. We don't like mm -hmm. to do things on the preventive side, and that's what gets us into a lot of trouble. And, and you know, when you're when you're young and you're training like in your in your early twenties or whatever, you can get away with a lot of really bad habits uh, mm -hmm. and still like do really well in the gym and be totally fine. But eventually, that starts to build up, and eventually, your body will start to break down. Um, if you're not paying attention to those things. So I think it's just like uh, for a lot of people, they're just like, yeah, I don't really need that. Like I'm doing fine. You know, I don't, I don't really need to, to work on that. Like I haven't had any issues yet. So why should I do that now? Like I'm, I'm an exception to the rule. You know, I don't need to do this, even though a lot of other people may do that. So to your point, you know, it could be a little bit of ego. And a lot of people too, like people have finite time to spend in the gym. You know, some people it's 45 minutes some people it's an hour and a half and they want to maximize every single minute that they have in the gym. So they just think that let's just focus on the major movers or just do all the things that, you know, is going to help me achieve my goals as far as, you know, aesthetic strength, whatever the case may be. So wasting my time on this prehab stuff, um, it's, it's taking away from their other goals that they may have, which is definitely uh, a, a poor way to think about it. How would you then, to someone who's listening, if they're trying to implement more of those strategies or they're looking to, to focus more on mobility and prehab, what would your, your focus be as, as the person on the other end? Like, what would you say like, to motivate them or to get, to get them and understand that value? Look, if you get injured, uh, let's say you uh, develop like a, a bicep tendonitis or whatever, and that all of a sudden takes you out of the gym to where you no longer can do, you know, you no longer can lift what you want to lift for, you know, four to six weeks. Well, how do you think that's going to affect your overall performance in the long game? Because that's really what we're playing here is that if you're consistent with a good program and, and you're really paying attention to your mobility, strength and, and accessory work, then you're going to, you should be able to really train forever uh, with, without, um, you know, hitting peaks or plateaus, and, but those who are not paying attention to like their prehab, the chance of injury goes up. And when you get injured, then it then pulls you out of the gym. And then therefore that's going to give you setbacks on your overall goal. So, uh, you know, everyone's prehab is a little bit different. You know, some people might be extremely tight. So therefore the emphasis for them will be focusing more like on the mobility flexibility component to where they can do all of the movements, full range of motion, you know, without pain. Um, because if you can't do like, for example, an overhead press, if your lats are so tight that you just have to super arch your back to get that bar over your head and that bar still is in front of you rather than right in line, well, that's a big problem. That, that's going to catch up with you uh, down the road. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So mm -hmm. everyone's different on what they'll need with their prehab, but uh, learning uh, what your strengths and weaknesses are will really help guide you. Mm. And that, that kind of is a good segue to what, what would you say long-term has 
been the leading focus away from mobility and soft tissue? Do you think it, it comes down to like the way that people, it almost feels like to me, like everyone has come through now it's different in fitness because we have social media and everyone can actually learn from people like you and Lindsay, which is different than like, let's say like before when it was just magazines and bodybuilders, like, would you say that the trend has now become more open for people to actually looking at it as a holistic way, whether they're athletes or just regular people, or what would you say that that trend has been really like motivated by or inspired by? I would say that, uh, Trends typically are motivated by what works and when people really catch on to uh, like what the top, you know, that, that's kind of the cool thing about social media is like, you know, if you're following someone who has a million followers and you're seeing that they're doing like all these crazy like accessory exercises before they work out or in conjunction with what they do or you're following like a, you know, a really well-known physical therapist who has a bunch of followers and they're always programming this for their athletes. Well, the trend is going to be to follow what they do because obviously they're smart enough to where they're working with like the top athletes in the world. And if top athletes in the world are doing this, well, then I should probably be doing this too. So I definitely see that a lot more in whether it's CrossFit, whether or not it's a, it's a regular gym. I see a lot of people starting to focus more on uh, those movements. Now, whether or not they're doing them right or wrong is kind of a different conversation to have. But at least I see that a lot more now than I used to even just five years ago. And I think social media has a lot to do with that. Mm, yeah, I think that it, it's, it's made it so that people are willing to be open-minded to yeah. different ideas and, and different experiences too. Um, one of the things I wanted to dive into is, is understanding also the root cause. So I know that when, for instance, when I came and worked with you, let's um, use it as a reference point. Like my bicep was was jammed up, but that was also caused by other tensions and other focuses. And I feel like when uh, people are addressing issues, they want to look at just the symptom. They don't want to actually treat the cause. So, what is the value of looking at the body from a whole standpoint and taking different pieces that make it? actually function like where where would you say that someone should start to map out their mind or push their just vision of the, their whole body when they're when they're treating an issue yeah you have to treat the body as a system because if you're doing any sort of like total body movements um you know even if it's mostly just isolation work eventually it's going to catch up to you and i think that like one of the best tests to look at is can you do a safe overhead squat because uh, there's a lot of people out there that cannot, and an overhead squat will show you, you know, do you have good ankle mobility, hip mobility, thoracic spine mobility, shoulder mobility, and if you don't have a good overhead squat, then you're going to have to address something down the chain. It might be one joint, it might be multiple joints, but uh, I see it all the time to where someone with like right shoulder pain also has like significant tightness in like their left hip, and so whenever they're doing some sort of like Olympic lift. Uh, because they're rotating weird at their spine because they're not squatting properly on the left side. Whenever they are doing something then with their right shoulder, uh, it's putting excessive stress on their right shoulder versus their left, and it's throwing things at a whack. Uh, I remember an example. I treated a guy who uh, would always get a lot of headaches um, and neck pain after doing snatches. And when we looked at it, uh, and I watched him do his snatches, his ankle mobility was really tight. And his ankle mobility, because it was so tight, was forcing him to really pull his head through the bar at the end range of motion, which was putting a lot of stress on his neck. We opened up his ankles, and boom, his neck pain was gone. So wow. you, you can really see a full body example right there that, um, you know, you may be able to get away with just treating the joint, you know, for a short period of time. But if you're in this for the long game, uh, you have to treat the entire body. And... Um, you know, you can do short-term pain relief techniques like, you know, ice foam rolling lacrosse ball to that specific area. But after you get through that initial treatment, you're going to have to look elsewhere. You're going to have to look at kind of the big picture um, in order to prevent that injury from happening. Because a lot of times what I find too is like, even like if you had like this bicep tendonitis, the second we clear that up, they're like, oh yeah, I got this like low back thing too. Or, oh yeah, I got this knee thing. But your body only recognizes really, you know, the most important area uh, where you're having pain at a time. So it's, it's a lot of times I will see that you clear up something and then other things expose themselves. 
Mm, I, I think the biggest one that I see too, um, when I talk with the clients that I work with, obviously totally different sect, like mine's more like lifestyle, fitness, health related. But a lot of the times when people talk about back pain, it, it, it blows me away how the, they're like, oh, well, I just need to go see a chiropractor. And it's it, it's a, maybe a piece for them, but it's also addressing the glutes and, and their hips because there's so much tension there. Uh, with something like that, for instance, because I know that a lot of people are going to have that, especially listening to this, this podcast, like what would you say if someone's experiencing back pain are, are some areas that they should look at addressing or improving bef- before they you know, seek out like maybe like surgery or they go down the rabbit hole thinking that the back is the only thing that's the issue? Yeah, I mean, I would say that the, the three most common things that I see with people with back pain is weak glutes, tight hip flexors, and decreased spinal rotation. Uh, and all of that stems from us having this sitting society. You know, mm-hmm. us sitting on our butts all day long creates like sleepy butt syndrome. And uh, it turns off the glutes. When you turn off the glutes, it decreases the stability in the hips and then, and then the low back. Um, us being in a flex position all day long tightens up the hip flexors which creates a lot of issues in the low back and then a uh, lack of rotation. Uh, the older that we get, we stop playing sports and we stop doing like rotational type movements. Therefore, when you lose rotation, you get increased compression of the spine. Uh, so those are kind of like usually the low hanging fruit for me whenever I'm treating anyone with back pain, even if I just didn't even assess them and I just treated that, there's a pretty good chance that they're going to get better. It's, you know, uh, special cases that you have to really look beyond that. But those are like the three culprits that I see uh, very commonly. From a tactical standpoint, what could someone do to improve, let's say, glute function and their anterior pelvic mobility? Yeah, I mean, just super basic stuff, even just getting to teach the glutes how to fire properly. You know, like uh, there's a very simple exercise called clamshells, which, you know, you just put a band around your knees and you're basically just open your knees, open and close, um, just like that, just at least to get them to turn on. Mm. After you get them to turn on, then you can do just very basic on all hands and knees, just hip circles, just full range of motion, hip circles. I usually do 10 clockwise, 10 counterclockwise. That's good for lubricating the hip joint. It's good for activating the full range of motion of, uh, you know, full range of motion that your hips need to go through, uh, that your glutes need to go through. Um, and then things to open up like the hip flexor, the, the couch stretch where you're kneeling on one knee and your foot is up on like a bench or, or a couch. Uh, that's a good, great go-to exercise to open up the hip flexors. And then spinal rotation, just something as simple as just lying on your back and just rocking your knees side to side, you know, five to 10 reps per side. Little things like that can really make a big difference. When we're talking about the treatment perspective, obviously we would love to get people up and moving more often so they're not sitting on their butts as much as they are, which is causing the problem. Mm. You know, whether it's driving to work for two hours every day or sitting, you know, behind a desk for eight hours a day, whatever the case may be, we we just need to get people moving more. Mm. And that kind of brings a full circle. And that was kind of the intention with the neck hammock in a way, obviously like that's a, that's a totally different part of the body that we're addressing. But um, I was actually diving into some different pieces of content before um, this podcast and, and the neck hammock, I, I don't know if you want to dive into like what that specific um, invention does and what it addresses but that was one of the things i heard you say is that it's about creating a space where people's necks can actually stretch out because it's so hard to sit at desks all day and most people are forward facing and they have so much tightness in their shoulders because they're at work or they're just in a stressed environment anyways like not even talking about like the physical stresses the emotional stress the things that people are dealing with makes their body so tight so um what was the intention with the neck hammock design and and what is the value of of loosening um, neck muscles and and really attacking the the top part of the body uh, just to kind of give you a little bit of background to uh, where yeah, I came I kinda, from with uh, I kinda dived over yeah there. no it's <laughs> I think it's just important to understand like where my head was at when I created in the first place is that you know I grew up playing a lot of football I did a lot of weightlifting and as a result I experienced a lot of neck pain and 
uh, the one thing that gave me the most relief, like immediate relief was cervical traction, um, which is, you know, decompressing uh, your cervical spine. And I would get that done in a physical therapy clinic that I worked at, you know, right out of school. I mean, it was like clockwork. Every time I tweak my neck, I would go in, do 15 minutes of traction, and I would feel a lot better afterwards. The problem was is that there wasn't any good at-home solutions to use. So I created the neck hammock basically to create a very effective way to decompress uh, your spine to give you the relief that I was basically going after. And, um, you know, the, the number one priority was that was the decompression to help like hydrate the discs after, after they're just being compressed all day long, you know, when you're stressed at work or cause you know, we all hold our stress in our necks, but when you have a lot of stress in your neck, then that creates even more compression through, uh, through your cervical spine. And so the neck hammock um, was originally created with just the decompression in mind. But the more that I would use it, the more that I would test it, I realized that how relaxed it made me feel. And when you're in a state of relaxation, then that's going to allow your neck muscles to relax even more and calm down. And that's going to allow for even more decompression to happen. So you get like really an emotional uh, benefit to it. And then you also get the physical um, benefit to it of the, of the decompression. So those two things combined uh, really make an effective solution that can offset all of the, the negative effects of sitting and just being in poor posture all day long. And I think the great thing is that that's something that, I mean, the actual intention of the invention was something that people can do at their house. Yeah. Like it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be done at a gym. You don't have to go seeking out a PT in order to have something accessible. I think that the more that we can be intentional about just movement and, and treating our body the right way throughout the day, like you said, even like going for a walk, getting up, standing up from your desk, I think makes the world a difference. Yeah. It's, it's like those little things compounded over time, make a big difference. It's like, you know, when you sit at your desk day after day, week after week, well that compounds in a negative direction, but if you can do things throughout the day to offset that from happening, like your body's extremely resilient. It doesn't like being in a state of pain. It likes feeling good. So when you can just get up and, and move like it was intended to do with intention, uh, then that can give you a lot of relief. You know, if you can do things like, you know, using the neck hammock, like when you get home after a long day of work, just line it for 15 minutes, you get your meditation in there, you get your rest and relaxation, decompression. Um, that, you know, when done consistently can also give you a ton of relief from what you're currently experiencing. And, you know, my intention was really just that is that, you know, you can use it anytime, anywhere. I don't want you to have to be dependent on always like going to see like a chiropractor to get adjusted or going to see your massage therapist. Uh, it's not like an end all be all solution, but it's another way that doesn't require medication, doesn't really require a lot of money that whenever you're in a state of pain, we're trying to prevent that then you have access to something, you know, that could uh, definitely get you some relief. Love that. I love that. I, I want to segue a little bit. Um, so we talked a lot about mobility work. We talked about getting activation going in, in a lot of different muscles. Where would you say that soft tissue work fits <clears throat> into the equation of prehab or any kind of rehabilitation on a, on a program for someone? I would say that the majority of people that I see their first like one to three sessions will do a fair amount of soft tissue work. I use uh, this technique called the Graston technique. It's where we use these stainless steel tools to get in there and break up adhesions that develop within the fascia. Uh, because what I found is that, you know, if you go right into just stretching or you go right into just like corrective exercise, it's not nearly as effective as getting the tissue to relax and open up first. Uh, Cause once you, you know, get the tension out of the fascia by, you know, bringing blood flow to it and, and kind of breaking up those adhesions, then the muscles respond significantly better uh, than without doing that sort of treatment. So things like using a lacrosse ball or things like foam rolling, you know, before you do any of like your prehab type exercises uh, can be really effective for just maximizing uh, the benefit that you get from the exercise. Would you, so what, how often would you suggest, like if someone's really tight, really maybe like an intense athlete or just someone who does have a lot of chronic 
pain for lack of a better word um when would you suggest they go the next mile and maybe do go see a massage therapist or they make it more of a focal point to see someone like you to have that be addressed you know um there's different answers to that you know some could argue that you know the second you're getting any sort of pain just immediately go and see someone because the thing is is that you know, Dr. Google, uh, you type in shoulder pain and you'll get a million different videos and a million different exercises on things you should do. And what will happen is, you know, you'll get paralysis by over analysis and you won't actually know the things that are good for you and are not good for you. So the sooner you can see a medical professional for them to tell you like, Hey, you're really tight here. You're really weak here. You really should be doing X, Y, and Z. And then you just follow those specific exercises and you can kind of segue off of the basic ones that they give you. Uh, that would save you a lot of time and money in the end because so many times like, people just go online, they look at videos and they just are guessing. And when you're guessing, you're not really doing anything with intention and your ability to stay consistent with an exercise program that you're not really sure is even going to help you in the first place is significantly mm -hmm. less. Uh, so really kind of the sooner the better. Once you see someone, you know, if you're really good about doing your stuff at, at, um, on your own, then just check in with them maybe every month or so, you know, see if like there's any other exercises that you then can build upon and uh, it'll be money well spent because again, when we're looking at this in the long run, you know, spending money on, on physical therapy or getting massaged is a hell of a lot cheaper than surgery and uh, it's a hell of a lot more fun, you know, than getting drugs or shots or any of those other things that have, you know, massive problems that we both are pretty well aware of. Yeah. Well, and I think it, it, it's, it's an investment of peace of mind too. I was talking about, I was talking about this yesterday. I can't remember where, where it might have been on Facebook or on another post, but I was talking about outsourcing accountability and knowledge is one of the fastest ways to actually solve your problem. Whereas, you know, you can scroll through Instagram and, and Google and figure it out, but just go to an expert and say, Hey, here's what I'm dealing with. It's going to free you up to actually focus on everything else that you want to do. Obviously there's value in always learning. Uh, that's not what I'm saying, but just taking that step and being like, I'm going to go see someone when I actually have a problem is going to make it so that you can actually move forward faster. So it's acceleration really. hundred percent. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, you could spend an hour, you know, going through YouTube videos, or you can go see someone who has 10 years of experience, like looking at your particular injury, like, you know, which one do you think you need the most information from, from specifically for you? Now, I like what you're saying about the education component, and sure, bring, you know, watch the videos, do your research, bring those questions in, and ask the professional what they think about X, Y, and Z, and then you'll really accelerate your learning, because then you're going to get, you know, what they're going to give you already, but then also your questions will then be answered and solidify to why you're going in the direction that you are going. Mm, love that. love that. One of the questions that I had as I was kind of preparing for this is, is who's been one of the greatest influences on you as far as training and conditioning techniques? Like who has really been someone that you've leaned into or maybe multiple people that have helped you as the process has gone for your education and, and growing as a, not just mentor and an athlete, but someone who is a high level professional. I think for a lot of physical therapists who started, uh, you know, their own cash based practices out of a CrossFit gym, uh, Kelly Sturette was really kind of the guy who uh, started creating a lot of, you know, mobility type videos, you know, he started mobility wad and uh, at least got you thinking very outside the box of what traditional PT was. So many people out there, um, when they hear physical therapy, they have probably experienced it at one point in time and probably seen a, a clinic that they give you, you know, hot packs and e-stem and ultrasound and ice and you're out. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's such a bullshit way of treating people. That's such a cop out for our profession. And Kelly was really one of those people that really took the, what we are supposed to do with physical therapy and combine that with what we do with like training, you know, with CrossFit and really combine the two. Um, and that really inspired me to treat people differently because it's like, once I really started getting into the CrossFit world 
it completely just changed the way that I treated people for the better and mm -hmm. focused on just total body functional movement. You know, I mean, when I was in PT school, probably none of my professors could teach how to do a proper squat and all the mechanics of what you need with adequate dorsiflexion, hip flexion, whatever, um, and actually demonstrate that. And it wasn't until I, I followed Kelly's stuff and started doing CrossFit that it really started opening up my eyes to uh, how to really be a great physical therapist, but also like trainer at the same time. Hmm. I want to dive into something off that just for me, my own enjoyment, but what was the connection to CrossFit that allowed you to see that? Was it that you had to be a full functioning athlete in every spectrum? Like what, how did that reshape your thinking? When I first started doing CrossFit, one of the first things I had to do was an overhead squat with a barbell. And I remember how embarrassed I felt that I literally could not squat below parallel or even two parallel with just a barbell and here I was supposed to be this like you know fit or uh, health and fitness pro professional medical professional and I couldn't even do that myself so it really forced me to do a deep dive into my own mobilities my own strengths and weaknesses figure things out like you know my ankle mobility was terrible my thoracic spine mobility wasn't as good as I thought it was shoulder mobility wasn't as good as I thought it was so getting me to dive into what works for me and got me to get better and allowed me to then treat people, you know, much more aggressively, you know, much more with, with different sets and reps than the typical like three sets of 10 or whatever. And uh, so a lot of it, every time I've been injured over the years, whatever treatments I've done to myself, I've taken notes of to use on other people. And so a lot of like me learning how to be, much more well-rounded and move better with CrossFit also guided me on how to treat people the same way. Mm, love that. That makes so much sense. Um, and that, that expands my thinking of CrossFit too. Uh, and that's why I ask. I think uh, CrossFit's always been something I've wanted to do. And I've done different forms of CrossFit style lifts. Um, like when I played college football, that was something that was more frequent, like very much like focus on high intensity interval lifting, if that makes sense, like just the, the strategic um, strength training that we did, but never actually in a CrossFit gym. So I think that that might be something to dive into soon. Yeah, and that's, you know, the thing about CrossFit, everyone has their own perception of it. Everyone has their own definition of what it means to them. Cause you know, every gym is completely different. You know, you can go to our gym uh, in Venice, or you can go to a gym in Boston and they might be doing completely different programs. They might have even different equipment. You know, everything is just different. But the one thing that I'll say about uh, people who do CrossFit is you're always seeing someone rolling around on a, on a foam roll. You're always seeing someone with bands like doing stretching or doing some sort of exercise before they work out because you quickly learn that uh, when you're doing things like, you know, back squats, front squats, whatever, it's really embarrassing when you go to class and you squat like shit and everyone else squats really good around you. So you know that, okay, I need to like open up my hips. I need to do this because I want to be better in class. It's not just about, you know, going in and who can lift the most weight because the people who do that get injured really quickly and then they're done with it. And then they have this bad taste in their mouth about what CrossFit is to them, mm -hmm. but it's their fault for not looking at their mobility and not looking at, you know, how well they're moving that that that's what got them in trouble in the first place. This is a random question that just comes into my mind based off of some of my notions. Do you think CrossFit's for everyone? Or do you think that there's a certain type of person that should lean into CrossFit and then someone who should more just take it as a principle and learn from it? See, the thing is, is that CrossFit is one of those things that you can scale it to whatever you want. You know, it, it's entirely scalable. Like, for example, there's a, um, a benchmark workout called Fran, where it's 21-15-9 of 21 uh, barbell thrusters at 95 pounds, and then 21 pull-ups, then 15-15-9-9. It's an extremely intense workout, you know, when you really try to do it as fast as you can. Well, there's some people that can't even squat to, like, let's say there's a 75-year-old woman, you know, who can't squat to, to parallel, but you could give her the same exact workout, but maybe have her squat to, like, a medicine ball, uh, and instead of her doing like a barbell thruster, maybe she's just using like a PVC pipe 
and she's going through that motion. Then when you go over, instead of doing pull-ups, she can do ring rows. So she can do literally the exact same workout, but scaled significantly back to where that 21-15-9 is still really hard for her mm. that's relative to the 21-year-old who completes the, the regular workout in you know two and a half minutes. So um, it's extremely scalable for all shapes and sizes. I remember uh, I had a guy who he was like in his mid eighties, spoke wow. like 10 words of English. Um, he brought her brought him into the gym because he was having trouble with balance. Like he was falling. He couldn't get out of a car without assistance. And uh, I introduced him, you know, originally just doing like our regular physical therapy stuff. But then I started getting him into like some CrossFit stuff and he loved it. He always showed up 15 minutes early. The different, uh, in one year's time, he couldn't get out of a car without assistance to where we were squatting with full depth, 65 pounds on his back with wow. chains, uh, doing sets of 10. He was wow. in his mid eighties. And like, again, with the right progressions, you know, making sure that you're paying attention to form, you know, mobility, strength, control, all those things. Uh, I really believe that anyone can do it. It's just kind of a matter of personal preference on is it the best for what goals you're trying to achieve. Mm. If you're trying to get like really big and really strong, then CrossFit's probably not for you. But if you're just looking to like to get fit, you know, be able to move really well for a really long time, uh, then it could be a great modality to where you get a lot of bang for your buck in just an hour's time. Show up, you don't have to think. Coach just tells you what to do, and then you're good to go. So. You know, it's uh, it's something that I recommend anyone try, but it just kind of depends on your goals. Love that, love that. That's a really good perspective, and that's a badass eighty-year-old. <laughs> um, so one of the questions I had is, when you look at the practice of physical therapy and, and prehab and all the things that you really are, I would say, an extreme expert in, what would you change about your industry, and and how would you play that out i personally think insurance is, is a plague on our industry um i wish that it, there was more cash-based services uh because if you are paying cash for something me as a consumer if i'm putting you know 100 dollars down for a session 150 200 down for a session whatever the case may be that's really valuable for me and when i'm putting that down i am showing you as a personal or you know, physical therapist that I am committed. I am serious about doing this. I'm going to show up and I'm going to do what you tell me to do because it's my hard earned money on the line. Um, and then you as a physical therapist would have to do your job and you're going to have to do it really well. Cause if you don't, they're going to stop paying you. Okay. Mm -hmm. so there's, there's that, uh, that contract that you guys have in place. Insurance throws things off because it's like, okay, I have good insurance. My copay is 20 bucks. Mm, I'm not really feeling like working out tonight. I'm just not going to show up tonight. No big deal. You know, and you're just, you know, out 20 bucks or it's, it's not a big thing or you're just only showing up because your doctor told you that you need to go. So you're not really that motivated. And then as a therapist, you know, let's say you have a good relationship to, with the doctor. So they just constantly just pump you patients all day long. You as a therapist, you know, you might see three people at a time because it doesn't really matter if you're giving them the highest quality treatment because you're getting reimbursed by insurance anyways. They don't really care. You know, so it's just like this bad cycle of, uh, of accountability um, that I'm not saying that they're all like that, but I'm just saying that in general, uh, you're not going to get You're not going to see physical therapists get away with doing you know, hot packs, East End, ultrasound and ice when people are paying you cash. Like that's just not going to happen. They're not going to, they're not going to put up with that for too long, but because they're not really paying for it, they think that, you know, they're doing the right thing and uh, you know, they're just going to keep showing up. And so it kind of gives our industry kind of a, like a black eye that uh, I'm not a big fan of. Yeah. And I can see where that'd be the case of someone who's worked with multiple physical therapists. Um, you know, you get a banded workout you get some stem and 
the problem never really got solved for me. Like, yeah. I, or it would be okay, but there wouldn't be the actual thing that was causing everything to be addressed. Um, you know, my previous experiences, so I can certainly see when that would be the case. And, and it does, it does, it, it makes so you have some skin in the game on both parties. Yeah. Right. Because when your name's on the line as the person who's providing the service and at the same time, the person who is investing has to be there. Yeah, hundred percent. And so uh, I think having more of accountability in our profession to really truly be the best uh, would be good for us. And it would create, you know, more internal competition between us, but you know, a rising tide raises all ships. And uh, I think it would really positively affect our industry. Cause I, you know, I go to these conferences, these PT conferences, and I just hear these dinosaurs talk about, you know, doing the same like techniques and it just, it really drives me crazy. And that's where one of the advantages I think that chiropractors have over us is many of them have to be entrepreneurs. You know, they have to open up their own business. They have to find innovative ways to get patients in the door. And uh, whereas a lot of, you know, PT clinics are just spoiled um, in that they're just, you know, simply just going to bank on these insurance, you know, patients being sent their way by a doctor that they have relationships with and whatnot. And, you know, it's just not a, not a great way to breed innovation. Mm, that's a really great segue. Um, I really love that you brought that up because I wanted to talk to you about some of your own entrepreneurial endeavors, not necessarily not to dive into each different piece, but you have so many different things you have your hands in between inventing the neck hammock, prehab to perform, the owner of, and the the actual person who's performing a lot of the work in there. I know you have the stretch lab that you've also co-founded and I know you have some other things that you do on the side as well as, you know, you and Lindsay both have your own entities that you, you function with. So one of my questions was what, what are some of the ways that you stay organized or focused while having your hands in so many different things? What are some practices that allow you to be so focused and organized? One of the things that I found to be really effective um, is creating consistent habits. So uh, one of like the little hacks that I do at home is for all like the, the, the just daily routines, like the things that I shouldn't even think about. Um, I have postcards. I have my morning routine, I have my afternoon routine, and I have my evening routine. And they're, they're really basic things that uh, I've created postcards for so that every day I just do the same thing over and over and over again to where I put those on autopilot, which frees up mental energy for me then to think about the big stuff, you know, because if you're always like trying to think about like, Oh, I forgot to like, you know, take the dogs out or, oh, or I forgot to, you know, pack my, my gym clothes or whatever. But if you have the system down to where every night, for example, um, you know, I'll, uh, put the dishes away and then I pack my uh, gym clothes and then I pack my snacks and then I pack my get my coffee ready so in the morning all I have to do is just grab my backpack and I'm out the door I'm not thinking about like oh I forgot to do this or that whatever because so many times I would forget to pack my gym clothes or grab them in the morning and then I would show up to work and I would have my gym clothes and therefore it's going to work out so it just messed up my whole day because now I can't work out because I don't have my gym clothes. And so when you create routines, you know, really good habits in your just basic routines, that frees up a lot of creative energy. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that I do is I literally even plan out in my calendar, my fun time, you know, what I'm going to spend, like, I'm going to go take the dogs for a hike. I'll put a, an hour, you know, I'll block off an hour to do this and I'll block off an hour to uh, maybe, you know, tonight I plan on like um, journaling, you know, writing in my journal and planning out your fun time. Also make sure that you actually do it mm. when you just like, you know, on days that you're really tired, if you just have like a few hours, like where you don't have anything in the schedule and you plan on just like, you know, watching TV, well then many times that 30 minutes of just like TV turns into like two hours or you can pick up your phone, just start scrolling through social media and get sucked in that rabbit hole for two hours. So if you literally block off times to when you're supposed to do things, then it limits the amount of like distractions and things that don't contribute to what you need to do. Um, I also have significantly pulled back on my social media. So one of the hacks that I do is 
um, I delete all my social media apps on my phone so that in order for me to go on Instagram, I have to reinstall it. I have to put in all my passwords again, and then I have to get on. And the second I'm done doing what I want to do, uh, whether it's make a post or, you know, uh, whatever, then I'll immediately delete it. And then, so if I'm sitting in my truck, like at a stoplight, I can't just look down at my phone and just like start scrolling. I would have to go through the whole process again. I'm not going to do that, you know? So that eliminates a lot of mental distraction. And, uh, cause, cause that really accumulates over time, uh, throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month, that's just completely wasted. And, uh, I'm a lot less mentally tired from that. So just being extremely organized, uh, like that, you know, cause I, in general, I'm the type of person that's a very quick start that I am not like organizing is not a natural thing for me. So forcing myself into those systems has made it so much easier to then free up a lot of time to focus on building things or improving processes or improving systems, like the big stuff, you know, that, that's really worth it. I love that. I have two questions off of that. What does your afternoon routine look like? Because I've heard the standard morning routine. I've heard the standard nightly routine from people. What does your afternoon routine look like? And when did you realize that you needed to start a digital detox or start formatting your life with digital minimalism? So the second I get home, I take my dogs out for a 10-minute walk. Second, uh, I'm done taking them out for a walk. I'll put all the dishes that like I cleaned uh, in the morning uh, that are in the sink. I'll put them all away along with like the dishes that may be like in the dishwasher. I'll put them all away, hop in the shower from the shower. Then I go and I eat my food from there while I'm eating my food. Like I'll be, I'll listen to like a podcast and that's my routine. Uh, then whatever time I have left in between then into uh, see my clients in the evening might be, just laying out on my, my deck for, you know, 30 minutes and just like meditating. It might be going for a bike ride. It might be actually working on some administrative stuff that I need to do. But that time is time that uh, changes, you know, depending on the day. And that allows me to, you know, get stuff done that I need to get done or give myself that mental reprieve that I really need. Um, and then uh, your second question Digital, digital detox. Yeah. Like when did you start? Because that was something I wanted to actually dive into in a bigger way. So we can start there and then I'll, I'll kind of segue into the second question I have in my mind. So uh, I really found that um, I was getting sick a lot more often. And, um, and I found that like every single week, by the time I got to like Thursday, I was so exhausted and so run down, just so mentally, like this whole like adrenal uh, fatigue thing that's now a thing. Um, a lot of it is blamed on overtraining or coffee, whatever. I think a lot of it has to do with social media. I think with the, normally we're used, we're, our bodies are trained to kind of like just stop thinking, it's trained to be bored, it's trained to like be in solitude for an extended period of time but we never give ourselves any break anymore. You know, it's mm -hmm. the second like you're, you know, doing whatever you're, you're going through your phone or you're checking email or you're whatever. And I found that uh, I was just always so tired that something had to change. And that was the first thing that I looked at. And I read uh, Cal Newport's book, uh, Digital Minimalism, that really helped put things in per into perspective for me that the second I started pulling away in using my phone far less, um, I started noticing a lot more energy. And then therefore that motivated me to continue to basically stick with that detox. And uh, I don't, I don't crave it as much. You know, it's funny. It's like, I used to like always feel like really like, you know, like I needed to always like be on my phone or whatever. Now, because I realize how much better I feel from pulling back, it makes me go on less and less. Like I might go on Instagram, I'll do a quick post because I, I really need to for, for my business. Um, it's important for my clients to see me, you know, doing workouts and like practicing what I preach, just random things like that. So I still need to do that. But the second I'm done with that, shut it down and uh, then I'm on with the, the rest of my day. So um, it's really, really important for a lot of people who uh, have high aspirations and goals and things that they want to accomplish to get that significantly reduced. 
Love that. I love that. Well, it falls into discipline too, which I think that that shines through that you have an immense amount. What would you say is one of your hacks when it comes to discipline? I would say, I would say the number one biggest uh, hack for discipline is creating those routines and habits. Mm. Um, Because again, when I just follow the script and I just follow the things that I have to do uh, every day, no matter what, I don't have to think about it. I don't have to decide uh, I really don't feel like taking the dogs out right now. Like I'm just going to do this instead, or I really don't feel like putting the dishes away. When you just make that habit, that routine of just doing it, just no matter what, um, you know, working out after your morning clients, no matter what, get it done. You're not thinking about it. You're just doing it. Then that gives you a lot more discipline to then focus on other things. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's like, I would say that the biggest hack for me is simply solidifying those routines and those habits. I mm, love that. It's also like one of the lines I like to use. So I like to wake up at 4.15 every morning. I really like getting up really early and having that be like a solid ground for me. I haven't been doing it this week, been really run down with a cold. So I figured that's one of the other pieces is understanding how you can be flexible with your time and not being obsessive. But also for me, I like that that's a part of my discipline too. It's like understanding myself. But one of the things I tell people, it's like, it doesn't take a lot of discipline to wake up in the morning. It takes more discipline to fall asleep at night. Like yeah. that's, that's the discipline part of like my nightly routine because that's what sets the stage to everything else. So it's, it's a compounding effect, right? Like that's what you're like saying. It's a compounding effect of having all these things aligned because if you're just looking at, yeah, you might want to start with like the one thing right now in your life that's off but the compounding effect of having actual strategies that touch upon everything, I think goes far deeper and far greater when you talk about lasting impact. hundred percent. And so I wanted to dive into just some lightning round questions, um, maybe more, more Steve questions. <laughs> I can articulate them that way, but just really like simple things to give everyone an idea of who you are, but also kind of, solidified this podcast here. So one of the questions I had is as an entrepreneur and as just, I think someone who has a really great relationship, what would you say one of the keys to growing separately, but together is? Just respecting boundaries. You know, it it really comes down to that. When you come home, understand that uh, maybe you give yourself just a few minutes, like to talk about business or whatever, but then after that few minutes is over, then that, that stays at work, you know, creating that separation of, uh, of, you know, your relationship and business is super important because we're both always like pretty close to each other, like throughout the day and, uh, understanding like boundaries and, um, you know, giving yourself that time to where it's just like off limits to talk about that stuff. It's super important because when you're really passionate about something like work, um, I like, I really love what I do. I could just, if it was just me, I could literally do it all day long. You know, I'd come home, I would eat and I'd get back to work. I would do other stuff. But when you're in a relationship with someone, uh, you have to understand that you have to have that balance because if you don't and, and you know, the, the scale is tilted, then you're going to have some issues. That question came from my Lindsay. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I was asking it. Um, if you could relive one day in your life, what would it be? It's a great question. Um, I think that one of the, the one of the coolest days was when I competed in the CrossFit Games back in 2013, and they um, they had this really hard workout that no one had ever done before, where they introduced legless rope climbs into this workout into in the stadium. We had already had a bunch of workouts, so you're already tired. And uh, I ran into an issue during the workout to where they had this dumb rule to where you couldn't even use your feet. So after like you'd climb up this rope um, without your legs and you touch the 10 foot or 15 foot beam, but you couldn't use your legs on the way down. And so I was just smoked. Like I was, the, the workout was you had to do uh, four thrusters and you had to do four rope climbs and three thrusters and three rope climbs and all the way down to one and one. And when I got to like the two rope, I was just smoked. And so I was just like failing like over and over again. It's like Brad broadcasted on live television and 
uh, it was one of those things where I just like had so much self-doubt on one side, but on the other side, I knew I couldn't quit. I knew I couldn't stop because my team was counting on me. And I somehow, some way, like figure out a way to get through it. And so on one side, there was just so much like, uh, just like fear and disappointment and almost like embarrassment. And on the other side, I was so incredibly proud of myself for going into this deep, dark hole and climbing myself out, like finding a way, finding a solution. And the reason why I would relive that is because it's, it's moments like that that keep you humble, that let you know that, you know, like times can get really tough and it can get really shitty and it can look like you're not going to get through it. But then you just dig deep and you find a way to get through it. And uh, that was a really special day because it was extremely highs and extreme lows. Um, but it's something that like I think about still to this day a lot. And uh, it is a feeling that I would like to relive again. Love that. That's powerful. It's going to be jazzed up right now. That's, that's a really intense one. And I really love that answer. If you, if you give yourself advice 20 years from now, what advice would you give? you? Um, if I can give myself as if I'm speaking to myself. 20 years in the future. Um, I would say that, you know, really creating, do a good job of creating balance between all the things that you love, which, you know, is it's work, you know, it's family, you know, it's your health. Um, it's, you know, connections with, with friends. Like I think that as an entrepreneur, I've been so laser focused on a very specific part of my life, which has been, you know, work and growing business and whatnot, that now I'm seeing the shift happening to where business has been, like a lot of things have been coming to fruition. Now it's time to start then shifting away from being as crazy sprinting with all that stuff and really focus on the other things that are really important. Uh, otherwise it, it's, it, it can create a balance that's very unhealthy. Um, and, uh, you know, I never want to be one of those guys who, when he dies, uh, there's three people at his funeral because, but, but with, a, you know, had a bunch of money in his bank account and like had a bunch of houses like that. That's, that's not something I ever want, would want to be. So eventually you have to get to a point where you create that balance, um, you know, of kind of those four things. Love that. Love that. What are some projects you're working on or where can people find out more information about you and support what you're doing? Yeah. So right now I am working on another like at home fitness uh, product that hopefully I'll be able to send you here soon. Uh, just playing with another manufacturer and I am actually kind of being a lot more patient with this because I'm waiting for a lot of my intellectual property to uh, manifest before I launch it because there's such a massive problem out there with copycats and counterfeiters that I really want to be ready this time uh, mm -hmm. that I learned from, you know, launching the neck hammock. I have another version of the neck hammock uh, that I will be testing here soon uh, that will have heating and cooling components to it. Mm. Um, it also has like upgraded uh, like memory foam. And so it's going to be a very premium model that just, I mean, it's, it, I'm really excited about it. Uh, you know, peep the easiest way to find me. Um, my Instagram handle is prehab to perform. Uh, I'm always posting videos about, exercises that I love that I'm currently using like with clients and whatnot. I, I really only post things that I really uh, think that people can get value out of. Um, and then feel free, you know, you can email me anytime at my personal email, steve.sudel at gmail.com. If you have any questions regarding business, health and fitness or whatever, uh, I don't always respond, you know, the fastest, but I will respond. And cause you know, I think it's, I think it's really important to give back. There's a lot of people who've helped me along my journey. And so I think it's important that I do the same with others. Hmm, I love that. You, you certainly do give back and I'll make sure that everything is tied up in the show notes too. My last question though, is what is your one rule for life? You know, whatever you do, um, you should try to be the best at it. And, uh, you know, you may not be the best at it, but I think that it's your aspiration that you should try to be the best. And, 
you know, because whenever you're, whenever you try to be the best at anything, it requires a lot of hard work, it requires a lot of discipline, and it teaches you a lot of lessons along the way. Like, it's really hard to, um, I would say, like, you know, a lot of people can be, you know, a good husband or a good significant other, but trying to be the best, uh, you know, that you can, like, for your significant other, um, and learning what you have to do to do those things teaches you a lot of lessons. And, uh, I think it's just something that, you know, so many people being trying to be the best at something too, when you're really good at something, this kind of ties into this whole like passion thing that a lot of people talk about that when you're really good at something that also kind of becomes your passion. And so, uh, you know, and, and when you're doing something that you love and when you're something that's, you know, you're really passionate about, you also are very good at it. So I think, you know, being the best at something and being really passionate really kind of go hand in hand. Mm. So, uh, you know, I would encourage people to do that. Powerful. I love it, brother. I love it. Well, so thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for the value that you've brought into my life and Lindsay's life. And you're just an amazing person. So I really appreciate your knowledge, your time, and just the value that you're giving everyone. So thank you so much, man. Yeah, well, it definitely goes both ways. Thanks for, you know, having this podcast. I think you have a, the opportunity to help a lot of people, you know, between you and Lindsay. And so I'm glad I could help contribute. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. And just remember to everyone listening, the journey to where you want to be starts with you. Talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in today to my journey. I hope this episode brought some value and light into your life. If you love this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes and shout us out on your Instagram story so we can share this message with as many people as possible. And if you're ready to start your own journey, reach out to me at brianpickwist.com forward slash start. And until next time, thank you again. And remember, the journey starts with you. I'll see you guys.